I'll start by talking about Benjamin Franklin. You know about Benjamin Franklin, right? I just thought this would be a funny way to get into. We're gonna we're gonna do a lot with story, but you think about Benjamin Franklin. He he loved lightning. I mean, there's a lot about. It. Actually, I did a biography of him once. He's he's quite the individual. Uh, but he loved lightning, and it wasn't just. I mean, you think about. It wasn't just that he thought it was beautiful, he actually like imagined that he could use it in some practical way. He, he raised the question, could the stuff of lightning be utilized in a way to benefit daily life? And so it's kind of funny, I don't know if you've ever looked this up or if you remember back in your elementary school days, but he created a primitive battery that was kind of like a bottle or a jar. And he literally like, he like literally bottled lightning, which is so cool. Uh, he, he bought a lightning and discovered a practical use for it. And, and you think about now how dependent our life is on that discovery, how dependent we are on electricity. What happens when your electricity goes out? It's chaos. He, he changed the way we live in many ways. And I was thinking about electricity because, as you'll see in our story this morning, actually I thought Jamie did a good job of setting, setting us up that we want to be experiencing God and talking about the power of his grace this morning, whether you're on a mountaintop or in a valley. I was thinking about electricity and grace, because we're going to talk about a man and a tree. I was thinking about lightning striking, but, but electricity comes from above, right? Grace is a gift from heaven. And it's, it's shocking, right? The grace of God is scandalous. And maybe you're here this morning or joining us online. And I remember when I was coming alive to Jesus, I heard people talk about grace. I didn't know what they meant. It took me a while. I could give you a definition, but maybe, maybe I'll just let that curiosity sit out there. What is this grace of God that comes from heaven that is shocking and scandalous and changes who we are? Well, the grace of God comes from the heart of God. It's something we don't deserve. And if you will, I mean, the Bible will talk about us as vessels, as jars of clay. Imagine yourself as bottling up the grace of God, being transformed by it, and then living differently, a practical life because you've been struck by the lightning of God's grace. Grace is rich and deep, and if you, if you learn how to receive it, It'll change the way you see yourself. It'll change the way you see God. It'll change the way you live life, live relationships, do your job. It'll change everything. Grace is a gift from God, and it's powerful. And it strikes. I mean, sometimes it just strikes you. We're going to talk about getting struck by the lightning rod of grace today. I'm going to invite you to imagine yourself as as this crazy person in a tree <laughs> getting struck by the lightning rod of grace. So we're in the story of Zacchaeus, and because, because, I mean, some of you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, which is, I'm thrilled that you get, I, I can't believe I get to be the person to tell you the story of Zacchaeus. It's such a privilege for me. But some of you grew up in a home like I did, and you sang a song with your parents or your grandparents, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. So what I want to do is, I, what, I, what I mostly want to do, my application at the end, well, we have some stuff, but I, I actually cut a ton out. <laughs> I got way more in my notes. I'm going to keep that brief, because what I really want to do this morning 
is get you into the story. Because it's, a part, because it's, it's, it's your story too. I'll say this at the end, but I want to get you into the story of Jesus because what Jesus does in the life of Zacchaeus, Jesus is still alive, and he can do that in your life too. So we're going to spend a lot of time in the story, and I want to invite you into your own experience of grace. So for some of us who haven't thought for a while, and if you were with us last week, we talked about this parable of Jesus of, of a Pharisee and a tax collector. So we talked a lot about tax collectors. I won't say all of that again. But if you were paying attention last week, I said tax collectors in the first century were like mafia. It was like organized crime. They were extortionists. They used force to make people pay money to their Roman oppressors. And then they used force to make people pay more money to pad their own pocketbook. They betrayed their own Jewish brothers and sisters, and they were hated for it. They were nasty people, tax collectors. So I don't want, first of all, I don't even know what a wee little man is. I don't, I was trying to, what is, I don't even know what that is. But even if I did, Zacchaeus is not a wee little man. He's short. We'll see in the story. He's short. But I want you to picture him as a strong man, because he has to be. Because he's not just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. He's the kind of guy that was probably a bully. You don't go recruiting people with Harvard PhDs in the first century tax collecting world of Rome. You get enforcers. Zacchaeus was an enforcer. He was probably a bully his whole life. He knew, he knew how to take advantage of people when they were weak. He knew how to hunt people down. He was nasty. He was strong. I don't even know. I mean, again, we're just going gonna to try to enter the story, but maybe he was called Zach the bully or Zach the wolf. I'll talk a little bit about animals. He's Zach the wolf because he hunted people down like prey. Come in the middle of the night when you weren't expecting him. When Zach, Zachia, the, the scary tax collector, he's strong. He's not a wee little man. He's short, but he's strong. And he's rich. You'll see as we get into the text, he's very rich. It's one of the reasons he's a chief. He's become very rich. And he's, I mean, and the people, he, live, he lives in Jericho. The people hate him. He's probably one of the wealthiest people in the city. The people hate him because he's living off my stolen money. He's robbing me. I hate that man. can't stand him. Zacchaeus the wolf. Now, we don't know, again, we don't know his whole story. It'd be awesome, right? Maybe someday we'll hear it in eternity. But, 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 but we can guess, again, because he's so rich, we can guess that he loves money. At some time in his life, he didn't care what other people thought. He just cared about money. He loved money more than he loved anything else. And he devoted his life, even selling out his own countrymen, to, to making more money and having a lot of money. Chief tax collector. And I'm just going to add one more scene. Again, I don't know that this happened, but I'm going to use stories from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 7, as, as a possibility. I want you to imagine this before we actually read the text. Uh, Zachary, I mean, you read about tax collectors. Again, they're nasty, mean people. You wouldn't necessarily want to be hanging out with them. I, I like it. I use this word from the Old Testament. I think Zacchaeus hosted parties of revelry. <laughs> He was a womanizer. 
He, he hosted crazy parties in his, in his massive home. The wine was just flowing. It was revelry. I want you to imagine one night, just a little bit before this story that we're going to read, Zacchaeus, it's like two in the morning. And he's sitting next to one of his pools at his giant place, living off of money he's extorted from people in Jericho. He's sitting there looking at the stars, and he's sitting there with a Roman soldier, because the Jews don't want to hang out with him. They hate him. So he's hanging out with a Roman soldier. Just imagine this. Just imagine. He looks at this soldier and says, hey, you've, you've been in the army for a while, military. You've been around the Roman Empire. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen? You know, you love that, right? What's the craziest thing you've ever seen? This Roman soldier loves the attention, right? He's got his glass of wine. He just takes a sip. He thinks, laughs out loud. He's thinking about, you know, I've been, I've been in a few battles. I've been all around the empire. But then imagine this. Imagine there's just this moment of clarity. It's almost like instant sobriety in the this is just a sincere seriousness in the face of this Roman soldier. He says, You know, the craziest thing I ever saw was here in Galilee. Here in Galilee. I mean, I'll give you a little background, but one of the centurions that I, that I, that I serve in the military, he had a servant he loved who was, was really sick and was about to die. And so he heads to Capernaum, you know, Capernaum, he heads to Capernaum, and he finds this, I don't know, rabbi, prophet, healer, this guy named Jesus. And he tells Jesus about his servant who's going to die, and Jesus says a word miles away, and his servant is healed. This guy tells me about him. So I know the name of Jesus, and I'm in Nain. I'm in Nain, and there's a, there's a you know, we're, we're on guard, and there's a funeral, there's a funeral procession going through. And all of a sudden, I hear, like, I hear, I hear that, because I've heard the name of Jesus before from one of the other soldiers, and I hear this guy named Jesus is here. And I'm in Nain, and this funeral procession is going by. And there's a widow, she's, she's crying because her only son has died. There's a large crowd, I'm right there in the village, I'm watching everything. And Jesus, Jesus, you can see, I, I look at him, and they point him out, and I just see, it's just like the picture of compassion. And he, stop, he like walks up. I couldn't believe the audacity, but he walks up, the audacity. Walks up to this funeral procession, and, and he walks over to the coffin, and he touches it. I kid you not, this happens. And he says, young man, I tell you, get up. And I'm, this kid was dead, and he's up. He's like, Zacchaeus, the craziest thing I ever saw. Crazy. So imagine, I mean, we don't know that that happened, but something like that had to have happened for Zacchaeus. And so now he's aware of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Who is this man? And so, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, or you can follow along. Luke writes, Jesus entered Jericho. And he made his way through the town. All intents and purposes, it seems like Jesus' plan is just to go straight through the town of Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem, so he's going straight through to Jericho. But something happens that makes him stay. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, our friend Zach the wolf. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Again, off of other people's money. He tried to get a look at Jesus, right? He's heard about Jesus. He wants to get a look at Jesus. But I told you, he's, he's not a wee little man, but he's short. He's too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, it says, and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. What's going on here? Just a couple things. Uh, but, but 
again, you've got to get into the first century. I was reading about this, right? Because Zacchaeus, I do, I picture him as strong enough to push his way to the front of the line. He could fight through a crowd, but here's the thing. It's one thing to go into someone's house when you've got Roman soldiers next to you or someone's business. But it's a mob mentality. The Bible talks a lot about the crowd and mob mentality, actually, really interesting. But mob mentality is a real thing. Zacchaeus is not going to get into a crowd, a mob of people, and not know who's behind him. I mean, literally, somebody could literally stab him in the back. So he's not about to do that. But he really, really, really wants to see Jesus. And so he says, he kind of sees the crowd, he sees where Jesus is going, and he runs ahead. Which, I mean, again, have you ever studied, I mean, whenever you study the prodigal son in, in Luke 15, and the father runs, the commentators always talk about how no one, and I think this is crazy, because I love to run, but adult men didn't run in the first century. It was undignified, but Zacchaeus doesn't care, he doesn't care, he's not trying to impress anybody in this moment. He runs because he just wants to see Jesus. And climbs a tree. I mean, again, even now, adults don't climb trees very often, right? It's a little weird. Zacchaeus runs ahead and he climbs a tree. That's what he does. He wants to see Jesus. That's all he wants, but he just wants to see Jesus at this point. Now, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. So again, I want to pause here and just enter into the story. Because one of the things that we believe as Christians is that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And sometimes we wrestle with that, and we, we, we know that he's God in flesh, and so we just attribute, like, magical abilities to him. So sometimes we read the story, and we well, of course Jesus knows his name. It's Jesus. But you read through the Gospels, they, are, they, they bring out his deity, but they also bring out his humanity. So I think it's probably a little bit more likely that Zacchaeus has climbed this tree. And people, like some people in the crowd saw him, they know him, they hate him. You know, in the crowd mentality, like, you're three rows back. He can't see you. You're like, sinner! I hate you. You stole our money, Zacchaeus. There goes Zach the wolf. Well, now he's in the tree. Now the crowd, Jesus has gone that way, the crowd. And so they're yelling up at him because they're like, he doesn't see me. I hate you, Zacchaeus. And Jesus is going by, and he hears this commotion, and he hears who's being yelled at in the tree. And he looks up with eyes of compassion. And, I mean, Jesus just knows, right? And so he addresses Zacchaeus. He stops. And he says, quick, come down. I, I must be a guest in your home today. Crazy. Now, I love Zacchaeus. He obeys, right? There's, a, there's always this theme of obedience. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. He obeys. He took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. I mean, it would be, it would be awesome to hear what Zacchaeus was thinking in this moment. But the people, the people are very distant. And they're mad at Jesus. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious, I love that, a notorious sinner. Zacchaeus is a notorious sinner. And they grumble. They're angry. I mean, some of them are probably angry because they wanted Jesus to stop at their house, and he's not. Some of them are probably angry because they're like, uh, this guy, I thought he was going to be the Messiah, the Holy One. Does he know the revelry that happened at Zacchaeus' house last night? And he's going to his house today. It's so ritually impure and unclean. What is Jesus thinking? They're angry. And, and all, and I, think this, and I think this is really cool if you think about the story. All of their anger at Zacchaeus is now being directed at Jesus. Do you see that? It's really important, the story. Some of what Jesus does. Verse 8, and I think this is cool too. So we just like, 
we don't get the whole story. That's why we try to fill in a little bit. But, but meanwhile, Zacchaeus is standing before the Lord, and we aren't given any... I mean, I, I'm fat. We'll talk a little bit about it. I'm fast. There's no conversation here. We don't know that anything is said. We just know that Jesus has come to Zacchaeus' house. And Jesus is, it seems, even... I mean, just probably not what Zacchaeus expected at all, and even more amazing than he ever imagined. He's heard these stories, but more amazing than he ever imagined. And, I, and, I, and you, you just get the sense that Jesus doesn't say anything to Zacchaeus, but something, he's been struck by the lightning rod of grace. And Zacchaeus, I don't even know that he thought this out. He just, he blurts out, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus doesn't tell him what to do. But as grace takes over his heart, he knows where love leads. Do you see that? It's really a cool part of the story. And then Jesus responded, and again, I love this, salvation has come to this home today. Now, is salvation just some ambiguous term, or is salvation embodied in a person? Right? Who came to Zacchaeus' home? Jesus came. Salvation came? Jesus came. Same thing. Jesus is where we find our salvation. And Jesus says, this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's how Jesus referred to himself often. The son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. I mean, I think there's a few different ways we can understand this. But I think at a very basic level, what Jesus is saying is, the son of man has come to seek and save those who are lost to reveal the heart of the father. And now... Zacchaeus is showing himself to now be a true son of Abraham because he's exhibiting the generous heart of the Father. Do you see that? He's no longer using people or taking from people for his own benefit. He is now just generously sharing what's been given to him. Or actually what he's stolen, he's given back, he's righting wrongs. But a, but a fundamental change has happened in Zacchaeus. Salvation has come Jesus has come. So that's the story. I like that story. Let's, review, let's, let's reflect on a few of these things here. The first thing I want to talk a little bit about, we'll do this first to get it out of the way. We love talking about money, don't we? We love it. Um, someday I'm going to do a biblical theology of money. I think it'd be good. fascinating what the Bible says about money. But we've got to talk a little bit about money here. And if we were reading the Gospels as they were meant to be read, which I highly recommend, as a book. So you start at the beginning and you read it all the way through. That's one problem with preaching sections is we preach a little section every week. We don't get to read the whole thing in one sit down or, or just over a matter of a few days. But if we were just reading straight through, just there, there was back in Luke 18, verse 18, just, just, a, just a couple stories before, there's a story of a rich young ruler Somebody who, similar to Zacchaeus, loves his money and loves his possessions more than he loves God or his neighbor. And so he gets in this interesting exchange, and, and Jesus says, well, you need, to, you need to sell everything. Give it away. And this man can't do it because he loves his stuff so much. And, and so he, he goes away, and it's, it's just a really sad story. And then Jesus says this. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. 
one of the ways I like to talk about this now is really economic self-interest is one of the greatest hindrances to you and I entering into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. And the disciples are blown away by this statement. What do you mean easier for a camel to go through the eye of the knee? I thought rich people were blessed. Yeah, Jesus says, well, with man, because they say, who could be saved? He says, well, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are so you get a story in, in, in Luke 18 of the rich young ruler, and, and you see somebody who loves their money more than anything else, their possessions, their wealth, for all kinds, right? It, may, it gives them reputation. It gives them a name. It gives them, what does money do? It gives them a sense of control. That's what this does. And, and, and so you read that story, and you do wonder, well, well, what does this mean? Well, then Jesus predicts his own death, and then you get the story of Bartimaeus that we talked about a few weeks back. And then you get the story of Zacchaeus. And we've talked about Zacchaeus as the wolf, and we'll talk about him as the wolf again. But here, Zacchaeus becomes the camel, right? Zacchaeus becomes the impossible. He becomes the rich man who is saved. <laughs> He's saved because he learns the heart of God. And he loves Jesus more than he loves his wealth. But I don't need this stuff anymore. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to make things right. I see who I've been. I've been a bully. I've stolen, I've, ex, I've extorted money. I've stolen from people. I've treated people as a means to an end. But no more. I've met grace and love incarnate. I had no idea that God was this good, right? So Jesus tells the story, or, or, or Luke tells the story, and I believe in many ways Luke is trying to disciple the church. You, you may be somebody of great wealth. Actually, again, if we talk about this, globally speaking, just the fact that you live here, you are somebody of great wealth. I mean, just globally speaking, you compare yourself to the billions of people around the world. And Luke is giving this story, I think, as he's learned from Jesus, okay, well, if you're somebody of great wealth, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. You have the heart of God. You are somebody who is generous. You are somebody who cares for the poor. You are somebody who doesn't use others to pad your own bank account, but, but you know that everything you have is a gift from God, and you, and you give generously to those in need. Zacchaeus becomes a model for the early church of how to be somebody of great wealth and love Jesus more than your wealth. I hope you see that in the story. The second thing I thought was interesting, and I've kind of already talked about this a little bit, but we'll, we'll say a little bit more, is that Zacchaeus, I've tried to make it clear, he was a difficult person. I mean, if you walk through Jericho, I don't think Zacchaeus would have been the first person you wanted to befriend. I think you would have been scared of him and afraid of what he might do to you. And I was thinking about this. The Bible has a lot to say about dealing with difficult people, a lot. And so I think as you think about like difficult people in your own life, I, I think every relationship probably deserves its own conversation. That's where the, we don't get a formula or a step-by-step -step guidebook. We really get the Holy Spirit to guide us through life. And the Bible says, well, sometimes you answer a fool according to their folly, and sometimes you don't answer a fool according to their folly. And you need the wisdom, the guidance from the Holy Spirit to know when how you handle different kinds of difficult people. Zacchaeus was a very difficult person. But I, I told you, I, I find it interesting in this story that Jesus doesn't tell Zacchaeus what to do. 
at least in the way the story is presented, it's just interesting to me that Zacchaeus meets with Jesus. And somehow time with Jesus is all he needs for love to make sense. He has a meal with Jesus, and, and that's, that's, all, that's all he needs. It doesn't say, well, Zach, I mean, with the rich young, because we just read the rich young ruler, and Jesus said you need to give everything away. It doesn't say that with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus says, hey, Jesus, what if I give half of my stuff away and four times back to everyone I stole? Salvation's come to your house. It's just an, it's a fascinating story. So it's not the only way to handle difficult people, but sometimes, sometimes just grace and mercy and forgiveness and seeing the image of God, even though it's been tarnished and broken, but it's there in every single human being and calling that forth. Sometimes that's what people need. Time with Jesus is what changes him. And then love leads him to, just, he just knows what to do. He just knows, salvation's come. I've come, and you know what to do. You now know what, that's a beautiful. And again, notice, that's different. That's different than what he told the rich young ruler. You got to see that too, right? It's not just some formula. But that's what Zacchaeus needs. And he knew it, and he becomes a model. Another way of saying this is the Pharisees could yell for a thousand years at Zacchaeus. The crowd and mob could could condemn him and mock him and call him just a dirty scoundrel cheat, and it would never change him. But one meal with the gracious love of Jesus changes him forever. <laughs> it's a really cool story. And again, I, I tried to point this out. I was going through the story, but I also find it fascinating. Like, the crowd is mad at Zacchaeus for the right reasons. He's a thief and a scoundrel. But in this, again, this is one instance, but in this instance, Jesus has no problem taking upon the anger of the crowd upon himself. Jesus, is, Jesus has never extorted money from anyone, but he takes the anger of the crowd upon himself. He identifies with Zacchaeus, and that, that is part of the pathway for transformation for grace to flood his life. Or the other way that I talk about this from time to time is that Jesus meets Zacchaeus right where he is. There's no necessarily sermon or instruction on the front end. He just meets him where he is. We say frequently around here that God most fully meets us where we really are, in the midst of our messy reality. But if you're going to experience the good news of Jesus, you need to be okay with being where you really are. What do we say all the time? Don't should on yourself. I know I should. I know I should. No, no. Just where are you? Because that's where God wants to meet you. That's where, he's, that's where he will most fully meet you. Or another way of saying it is God gives grace to you if you can be honest with yourself about yourself. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why we see this lightning rod of transformation, because for most of us, we spend so much time pretending and kind of lying to ourselves and justifying our sins that we never really want to get honest with ourselves about ourselves. Zacchaeus has a moment of clarity in the presence of Jesus where he's like, I've robbed people. I mean, I've taken a lot of money from people. It's time I give it back. Fourfold. 
Oh, what an incredible transformation. He's honest with himself. Maybe you've already discovered this. Maybe you haven't. If, if not, let me introduce you to this or remind you that those who encounter Jesus find that they always must make a choice. Zacchaeus had to make some choices. He could stay committed to his hustle or he could meet with Jesus. He could wish he was somewhere else or wish he was someone different or he could meet with Jesus. He could demand that God be something other than he is or he could meet with Jesus. He could try to impress others. Clearly, he didn't care about that. He just wanted to meet with Jesus. He could, he could just work really hard to show that he's right, even though he's wrong, or he could meet with Jesus. I mean, he's wealthy. He's got a lot of power with the Romans. He could try to maintain and solidify his power and status or... He could meet with Jesus. He chose to meet with Jesus, and it changed him. And it's never the same. He, he begins to care about the poor. You can think about him like Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm already getting excited. I don't mind telling you this. My favorite Christmas movie is The Muppet Christmas Carol. You know this by now. And whenever I say that, I do need to tell you that if you haven't seen it yet, the performance by Rizzo the Rat is incredible. It's award-winning. But the Knit family watches it every year, I think on December 23rd at night. My wife usually falls asleep, but Jay and I stay up. We stay up and we laugh at Gonzo and Rizzo. It's just so good. But I also stay up because I love the end. You know how Dickens ends this, right? It says, Ebenezer Scrooge became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city of, well, I'm going to say Jericho, ever knew. Or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. He was true to his word. You can imagine that Zacchaeus is an Ebenezer Scrooge. He's true to his word. And he cares for the poor and he makes right his wrongs. And I bet he single-handedly makes Jericho a more beautiful place. The last thing I want to say is that this Zacchaeus story is part of a bigger story. It's what I said at the beginning, and you're a part of it too. What do I mean by that? Well, I told you, Zach the wolf, he's a wolf. He hunted people. He took advantage when people were at their weakest. He became beastly until he heard about Jesus and climbed a tree and then, as I said, got struck by lightning. Well, well what's so important about that? Well, some of you know we're almost to Advent. Some of you know this story from around the Christmas season, Isaiah chapter 11. You know the story? It begins in chapter one or chapter 11, verse 1. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Isaiah, he, he's this prophetic imaginer. He's just imagining into the future. And he imagines a time when, when out of the line of David, a Messiah, a king, someone will bring, he'll bring righteousness and justice to those who have, have had money stolen from them by the wolves. And you keep reading and you get to verse 6 and he says, In that day, when the shoot of Jesse comes, this branch, in that day, life out of this dead stump, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. Now, I've said this before. When Isaiah says that, he doesn't mean that the problem with the earth is that carnivores are eating herbivores, right? That's not what he means. He means that human beings have become beastly and they're feasting on one another. 
And when Jesus comes, he is going to bring righteousness and justice and peace. And he is going to bring transformation. And the wolves and the lambs will live together. Is that not good news? And you understand the same Jesus that fulfilled this prophecy of Isaiah, this big story, who dined with Zacchaeus is alive today. So in other words, the story of Zacchaeus, I mean, it, it can, it's, it's, it's not just his story, it's your story too, is what I'm trying to tell you. You can be zapped by the grace of God. Now, I do think you need to be honest with yourself about yourself. You're going to have some choices to make. Do you want to keep pretending? Do you want to try to impress others? Do you want to maintain whatever power? You've you got some choices to make. Are you going to choose those things over Jesus? Or are you going to choose Jesus? You've got choices to make, and some of that's in your court. But if you are willing to be honest with yourself about yourself in the presence of Jesus, just, just a half hour with Jesus can change you forever. And the kingdom of God can come. The story is ongoing because Jesus is alive. He is still healing people. He is still setting people free. He is still forgiving sins. He wants to heal you. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to take what's broken in you and put you back together. He wants to take some of those places in your heart where you're feeling shame and just floods you with his forgiveness. He wants to tell, I know, I know you feel trapped and in bondage in certain areas. He wants to set you free. Imagine, just think about how much energy you spend trying to pretend like you're someone you aren't really. How exhausting that is to put on this show. Jesus can set you free. Actually, he loves who you are and he wants to meet you where you are. Now, he won't leave you where you are, right? He's going to give you choices and invite you into a deeper, richer, more beautiful version of yourself, who you were meant to be, who God, who God what, what he really sees when he looks at you. That's what Jesus does. It's Zacchaeus' story. It's our story. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And again, we're going to try to re-enter the story, if you will. I mean, whatever, whatever the Holy Spirit is doing, I, I want you to pay attention to what he's trying to say to you, what he's, where he's trying to guide you. But I want you to kind of try to imagine, I mean, whatever the Holy Spirit brings to mind in terms of what you're wrestling with, but imagine being there as Jesus is, I mean, it's not that hard. I mean, imagine going to Pumpkin Fest. I know some of you from DeKalb are like, I would never go to, but imagine that you're at Pumpkin Fest and there's the parades going through and there are these crowds lining the room. And you're in the back, and, and all of a sudden, like, Jesus is coming through, right? What might you be feeling that would make you want to run through the crowd or run up ahead so that you can see Jesus? What is the Spirit of God bringing to your mind or to your heart? And I, and I do, I want you to picture yourself undignifiedly running ahead. You're like, I haven't run for years, Jeff. Well, now you are. Run, run ahead. And you climb one of the trees. And you just want to see Jesus. Because, I mean, you know you're not worthy. You just want to see him. You're just curious. Who's this Jesus? And here's what I want you to do as we go from that story to your story. I want you to picture Jesus looking up at you. And I want, I want you to picture Jesus calling you by name. 
and, and then say, I want to meet with you at your home. And so I want, I want you to just think about meeting Jesus, dining with Jesus at your home. What are you experiencing? I mean, in the Zacchaeus story, we aren't even told, but maybe he says something to you. But what are you, what are you realizing about Jesus that you never understood before? I mean, are you paying attention to how comfortable you feel to be yourself in the presence of Jesus? Maybe you anticipated condemnation, but all you're experiencing is grace and love and forgiveness. You're, 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 you're surprised by how free you feel to tell Jesus everything. And then you, you, you start to realize that when he looks at you, he sees so much more than you've ever seen in yourself. And you want that. You want to be that person. I mean, whatever the Holy Spirit is telling, what is he saying to you? Pay attention to this. Stay there with Jesus. We're going to sing one more song. Stay there with Jesus. I'm going to invite you to say, but, but stay there with the Spirit. Let him speak good news to you. Jesus, we want to hear you speak to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.